lightning. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Impress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Impress. Now Akiba, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. with the Royal Empress. I'm Hakima, and joining me is my sister and co-host, Akiva. In this episode, we are discussing our youth. You know we need to talk about them. Generation Z. Yeah, that's them. And younger. And to help us with this topic is our co-founder of the organization, Hip Hop Detox, our brother, Enoch Muhammad. So everybody say hello. (laughs) Say hello to the audience. Peace to everybody, and thank you all for having me on your show. Truly appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thank you, powerful, powerful brother. I gotta read your your uh, your bio because people need to need to hear this one. He is the executive director and lead empowerment. I like how you spell empowerment in your bio. bio. <laughs> Powering men, I love it. Empowerment specialist of a public health not for profit organization called Hip Hop Detox. And if you ain't familiar with Hip Hop Detox, Google them. Google Hip Hop Detox, you know what I'm talking about. I ain't gonna say no more about that. Google them. Mr. Enoch Muhammad is an empowerment speaker and change agent specialist. Oh, I love that. With a background in music as an artist, manager, booking agent, and music business consultant. He is a grassroots community organizer that range from, that range from the Million Man March to the NAACP and Black Think Tank College student chapters, and the education consultant focusing on youth, civic engagement, conflict resolution, healthy lifestyle choices, and intergenerational dialogues. Ooh, that's deep. All right. Brother Enoch is a collaborative partner and four-time featured keynote speaker to 100-plus boys at the ranch of comedian Steve Harvey for his mentoring program in Texas personifies a fusion of hip-hop, spoken word, pop culture, empowerment, edutainment, and change. He is dedicated to taking up the task of making a positive impact in the city of Chicago and nationwide. As a servant leader that promotes positive behaviors and healthy lifestyle choices to teens and young adults, and I'm gonna say older adults too, because you make an impact on everybody, while assisting them in navigating through the map of life. All right now. <laughs> All right, we can just stop it right there. We're gonna stop it right there, but all right, that's the end of our podcast, brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's, it is look, we can drop the mic right here. But uh, you know what? This this conversation is very needed because our youth is out of control. So we we really want to start talking about what the biggest obstacles facing our youth is today. Well, I want you to start it off because please let us know. 
Before you do that, though, brother, because that was a wonderful bio, was there mm -hmm. anything that you wanted to add? Because I see you got something in the background behind oh, yeah. you. Are you speaking <laughs> about this imagery in the back here? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's been some time coming um, after doing, um, man, I would say 30 years of, um, of work on myself and helping uh, young people around the country. We're finally going to go ahead and put the book out. Okay. And uh, for those who aren't able to see the book fully, the book is titled Poison. And so this is the first time I'm publicly talking about poison um, because it's overdue on, on certain, certain levels it's overdue, but then on other levels it's right on time. And I believe it's right on time because as we're discussing the current generation, you know, uh, Dr. Muhammad, you know that the apple don't fall too far from the tree. So if we see poison in Generation Z and Generation Y and the millennials, we got to know that there was some poison that was going on in Generation X and some poison <laughs> going on with the baby boomers and there was poison going on with the great society and so forth. So we know that, you know, we can go all the way back 6,000 years dealing with the poison. Woo, teach. I, I think that we have um, a reality that we have an opportunity to produce some powerful antidotes and powerful medicines. And I think we're in the process of doing it right now. We just have to become more intentional about it because no, uh, no generation that we produce, they didn't come by themselves. They didn't come because they just said, hey, I want to be here. They came as a result of what was before. And if we can study and look honestly and appraise what came before, then not only will we, we can appreciate the greatness of what's present, but even the things that are challenges, we'll be able to look at how to deal with them because we're, we really are dealing with ourselves. It's just that we're dealing with ourselves from a, a, a Generation X perspective, we're dealing with ourselves when we were partying and kicking it in 1982, 84, 86, 89. And what we were going through in the early 90s, we'll be able to say, hey, you know what? Slangs may change, but a lot of things stay the same. And if we would have had YouTube back in 88, if we'd have had YouTube <laughs> and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you talking about you talking about Lottie Dottie, we likes to party. It'd have been a whole bunch of trouble for everybody if we'd have had YouTube back then. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that in what we assess with these generations, and you know, it's funny, uh, before this particular interview, I was looking over some of the researchers' research when it comes to looking at a generation. And I think the, uh, the Pew Research Group and just other groups, they discuss how a generation is usually confined to 20 to 30 years or in between. And I thought about that and I said, you know what? If scientists say that the brain, physically the brain, isn't really completely matured until about, what, 24 years of age, 25, then if we took a scientific approach to it and we said, well, 20 to 30 is okay, but the brain is not fully you know, matured and functional until 24, 25 years of age, if we looked at that as a marker and said every 24, 25 years, that marks a generation Think about what happened to us between 1969 and 
you know, 1984. Like, look at all the different things that transpired in that generation, you know, or look at what happened between 85 and 2000, what, seven, six? Like, if you begin to look at these uh, from a cultural, socioeconomic, political perspective, and you see how we were birthed into a culture, I think we were destined to, to see the things that we're seeing with our young people. So I would like to just start off by saying from a spiritual and, and a, a uh, psychosocial perspective, if we take it from that perspective, I think everything that's happening right now is supposed to happen. I know it might sound crazy, but I think that it's supposed to happen. And I'll stop right there and let you go ahead and take <laughs> the questions because I know I'm probably going to get into some, some details with your other questions. <laughs> I mean, that's yes. deep. Go ahead, Hakeem. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But I'll, I'll go ahead and um, um, quote the question, uh, repeat the question again. What are the biggest obstacles facing our youth today? Lack of guidance. True that. That's the biggest issue. Um, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, when she discussed uh, the areas of human activity, as she learned from her mentor, uh, uh, Neely Fuller, you know, she put out there that when you look at sex, law, war, education, economics, entertainment, politics, labor, religion, health, and technology, when you look at all those areas of human activity, there's poisons in and throughout all of those areas. So if you're 12 years of age, what are you going to do with the poison? If you lack parenting, parenting and guidance and proper stewardship, how are you going to deal with the poison? You're 12 years of age. Think about how we dealt with it. Many of us grew up at a time where we were introduced to the 24-hour television programming. So our parents knew nothing about, you know, being uh, susceptible to programming influences 24-7. They knew nothing about that. They knew about television going off at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you see the the United States flag and dun, 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 and you hear the uh, horns and doo, yeah. <laughs> TV gone, TV off. You better go read a book, go to sleep, go do something, but you cannot watch any more television. That's we right. were introduced to 24-hour cable TV. And you know, the later it got at night and in the morning time, you can find some very raunchy things. So we grew up in, in, in my book, Poison, I talk about some of those things, you know. I talk about the effects of Benny Hill on a twelve-year-old mind. <laughs> some of you all oh, don't talk about Benny Hill. Oh God, oh, that was the most horrible thing that we could watch. But we were laughing, unaware of just the, the amount of poison we were ingesting. You know, my mother used to say to my uncle, "Why you got my children watching that pervert?" <laughs> and ben, we Benny, were, Hill, Benny Hill was soft porn. Yeah. <laughs> he was. <laughs> that was soft porn. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't know. All we knew was that this white man is crazy, funny, and he's doing some stuff that we knew we shouldn't be watching. You know, in Chicago, we had, uh, I think it was called The Son of Spanguli. Oh, yes. yeah. And Elvira. There was no way Elvira should have been on TV at that time. <laughs> Young boys, just, we on the screen looking because we knew Elvira was going to wear something that was so, you know, yeah. Like this is a very cleavage out, cleavage out. <laughs> but you know that was by design to make wickedness and sexy. So I mean, 
completely. They successful because it's sexy to be anything other than righteous. It's sexy. It's exciting. So they they serve. I guess it served this point. <laughs> oh, it did. I mean, it really did. And so we watching for the movies, but we also knew that the interlude would have some craziness that she's talking about. But she would be dressed in that way, talking that craziness. Mm-hmm. You know. So when a twelve year old gets hit constantly with that, you know, not yet a full teenager, a preteen, mm-hmm. right? So everything that led up to that twelve year old receiving you know, information, and then getting a chance to experiment with it, you know, because you got to go to school. When you go to school, the other 29 classmates, especially here in Chicago, sometimes it's 30 and 35 and 40 because classroom was over full. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't 15 in the class, it was 30. So you get poison and all those other students. And so we swapping poison stories. We discussing poison on every level imaginable. So again, when Dr. Welsing said, she said, sex, law, war, well, sex was number one on the list. Wow. <laughs> we talking about war, we talking about war amongst, we weren't in LA talking Crips and Bloods, we were talking about the GDs and the, and the Vice Lords, you know what I mean? We talking about those under the five and the six, we talking about war stories because that's what's going on. Or we're talking wow. about war stories between projects, you know, and neighborhoods and it's being glorified, you know? And so when we start discussing the poison that we deal with with our youth, genetically speaking, we, we're predispositioned. Mm. And I'm talking about with the mind viruses. You know, mm. hear older folks talking about the glory days of the BDs and the GDs. At one time they were together, then they started fighting. Remember that shoot that took place there on 63rd and, and over here in Inglewood? And we start talking all this stuff and we glamorizing it. Yeah. And the shorties want to know, well, you know what? I need to put my crew together, my clique together, and we protect our territory like they did back in the day. But but we get upset with them because they have no structure, no discipline, there's no code. Well, that means we need to produce an antidote for that then. Because when we glorify these things, we get to tell them how innocent people were getting killed and hurt as well. In the city of Chicago, Back in 1993, I believe, we had 940 murders in the city of Chicago. There was no YouTube. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. So what was the level of poison during that time that produced that level of murder? And that's just murder. We, we, they weren't counting the shootings back then. There wasn't any 24-hour news reporting. Right. So when we start talking about what's wrong with the youth today, we're going to have to deal with what's wrong, what was wrong with us yesterday. Because everything that we see wrong with them today is a direct result of what we did yesterday and that we didn't correct. So then everything began to get exploited from the, from the music and the culture, everything was being exploited. You know, I, I agree with you. I think another, just to add another obstacle is lack of uh, male influence. Um, a lot of your discipline and that control of your emotions come from dad. So, I mean, in my, in my work in dealing with young troubled men that are incarcerated, majority of them are coming from an environment where there's no father. And they, they, their way of handling situations is like a woman handled it because that was their role model. Their, their mother in the house was that the only example or their aunties, their grandmas was the only examples on how to deal with conflict. And we know women, we're emotional by nature. And if you take a woman that don't have knowledge of self, 
her way of handling something. She's highly emotional. So a lot of these young men I've seen demonstrate a lot of female behavior, but I've seen their whole being change when a positive male role model steps in a room or step in a circle and they're like spellbound. It's like the feminine side of them falls in love with that man because he's there to give, to give that balance. So I think one of the biggest obstacles for a lot of our young men is no male, no man, because if you want to destroy a nation, you got to break up the family unit. And many of our children in households, they don't have no man in the household. And not saying that you have to have one in the household, but he at least has to be uh, much of your interactions. It has to be It has to be a balance of male and feminine energies. And a lot of young men in this society are not getting that. We didn't get it back in the 80s and the 90s, unfortunately, also. I mean, that whole latchkey kid narrative. Well, that was right. <laughs> I, was, I was going to, um, I was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I was one of those that was walking to school by myself. Ogden Park, we used to live right there uh, in Inglewood, uh, right on, what was that, Bishop, 66th or 67th and Bishop. And so I remember as a kindergartner walking through the park. You know, sometimes my aunt would be with me, sometimes she wouldn't. You know, and I'm walking through the park by myself, you know, in kindergarten. And so when you start considering all those children during that time that would come home, nobody at home, you got the key. So you eat what you want to eat, watch what you want to watch, unless your mama would threaten you and talk about how she was going to put something on that backside if you didn't clean up the room or do your homework prior. And my mother was one of those mothers that she would put that fire on you. They used to call my mother the, the warden. <laughs> call her the warden. And she most definitely, you know, it, it, took, it took my sister's father to get her to understand the balance. Like, you don't have to whip them with an extension cord to get them to do what you want them to do. You could do something different. You know what I mean? And I was very thankful because the extension cord wasn't no joke, you know, but there were a lot of children, they didn't have that kind of parent. So if I went over their house, I'm seeing people doing some of everything. And I'm talking about yeah. this again, this is in the eighties. This is in the eighties. So smoking weed, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, that's not a millennial phenomenon. Right. That's a phenomenon that goes back quite a few years, you know, quite a few decades. I'm sorry, quite a few decades, you know. So when you start talking about about the lack of parenting, you're absolutely correct that, you know, the lack is so manifest right now. It's it's in the open. I mean, some things were low key back then, but it's 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 celebrated now. You know, people get on Instagram or TikTok showing how much uh, uh, of not a parent they really are. You know, they may publicize it because they want they want the views. They want people to like it. You know, they want they want it to be comical. But it's like, well, hold on for a minute. You just did this in front of your five year old, your six, seven year old, and you just so concerned for attention that you're not understanding that your child is going to imitate and emulate everything that you're doing. So you have a lot of children. You use the word males. You got a lot of males and females producing babies, but not a lot of women and men producing babies. And if you have a lot of males and females producing babies, then the things we see that's problematic in this generation will continue until they evolve from the childhood stage of a male and a man, uh, and a, woman, a female, into manhood and womanhood. It has to be an evolving. And right now, we have too many males, you know? And the reality is, is that it took a man 
to get to me when I was 19 and tell me straight up. I mean, this is how he put it. He said, he said a dog can get a hard on and a squirrel can bust a nut, but it don't make him the apple of God's eye. So what the hell you do? What do you think you doing? You being a male. There are male rats, male dogs, male pigs. There's male horses. But what separates you as a human being that's a male from a male dog or a male pig? There has to be some manhood involved in the equation. And that comes with a thinking mind where knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is the hood that allows for you to make proper decisions. And again, that's an evolution because somebody can tell you that, but then you got to begin to understand, well, how do I do that? Because I don't know what that looks like. Going back to what you said, I came, how, do, how does that look? I know how to be a nigga. I see that all over the place. You go on social media right now, you go just on anything on, on the computer right now, I, you can learn how to be a savage, learn how to be a beast, you know what I mean? <laughs> learn how to be a nigga, you know what I mean? You can learn how to be other than yourself in every way imaginable. And you don't have to leave the comfort of your home. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn how to do all that stuff. All you got to do is have a phone. That's all you got to do is have some way to pick up. As a matter of fact, you don't even need a phone. Just have a, a, a video game console. On your Xbox, That's right. you can pull down anything and everything. I'll never forget mm -hmm. a, a elementary school student. I was teaching at an elementary school here in Chicago. It was a fifth grader who would get into some trouble. He was in his classroom playing a game, and the game was called Pimp God. He was a master at Pimp God. And this is an internet game. This is in early 2000s. This is an internet game. He had over, I don't know, like three, four million dollars, you know, in terms of, <laughs> you know, he was the Pimp God. The object of this game was for him to make sure he got meds for his hoes. <laughs> he had to get, uh, make sure he had money, you know, bail money. Um, and he had to have bullets for his goons. And so the object of the game was to be able to, you know, get through the, the different little obstacle courses so that you could become the pimp god. This is fifth grade. So when you have the culture with all these levels of poison in it, you know, we can look at it and say, that's a shame. But then if we want to really assess it in a way where we can really help him, we got to be able to say, okay, what poison was I involved in? Because I was involved in some poison too. Well, we didn't have pimp God, you know, back then. We were- Thank God. Say what? That's a thank God. Thank God. We didn't have pimp God. <laughs> what we had in video games was Pac-Man. We had Centipede, right. you know, and then we evolved. You know, there was a game called Contra. You know, and, and for those who are historically inclined, you know, yes. Contra, there's no coincidence that that game called Contra involved in being in Nicaragua shooting That's up. Right. People. So we played Contra, and before we was able to get hip on how to get 30 men, you know, and, and be able to survive the whole game, me and my cousin stayed up four or five o'clock in the morning every night for over a month trying to beat this game. You know what I mean? But we had to get more guns more ammo to shoot up all these indigenous people. <laughs> but we didn't know that. All we knew was we trying to play this exciting game called Contra. Right. And we had to kill as many people as possible in that game. You know? So when we begin to see again the levels of poison, it's been a consistent rise. 
So we didn't get Pimp God through the game, but we did get Playboy Magazine. <laughs> we, were, we were in the cut, you know what I mean, watching our pornos because we didn't have internet at that time. So you had to get it the quote unquote uh, old school way. You had, to, you had to get it through the VHS tape. Or if you had on TV or SpectraVision, you was able to sneak on at four o'clock in the morning, you see the freaky cartoons, you know, or your, your older brother or, or cousins, they would, you know, be in the basement when nobody was home and they would be showing you stuff that, you know, your mama didn't know, you know, it was going on. So we were getting it on the low low. Nowadays, there is no low low. Everything that you can imagine, very accessible. And that's the major difference between us and them is that everything is on the table, everything is accessible. And if we're not honest with them, they're gonna find out about it on their own. And then they'll be able to experiment without you knowing they're experimenting. Exactly. How do we turn this around? Because at the end of the day, I think it's an agenda mm -hmm. um, and a deceitful one at that. Um, just kind of expound on that. I'm pretty, like, it, there's an agenda, but how, how do we combat that? Do you mind if I show you something visually? Go right ahead. Some of the pictures on this cover, some of the people. Who do you notice? KRS-One, I can see him. Okay. That's the only person I can recognize. That's you, Akilah. So, of course, I see you. I see Steve Harvey. Okay. I see some people that I don't recognize. Uh, looks like Gary next to you down at the bottom. And then I see your sign, but I can't see who that is. Uh, and then there's a sister. Is her hair purple? Okay, that's Katie Got Bands. Yeah. That's a real artist named Katie Got Bands. Okay. She next to KRS One. He's in the middle. You see on one side, that's Jay Electronica. On the other side, that's Rakim, okay. UID, and Brother Jay from X-Clan holding up the Hip Hop Detox sign, right? Okay. Now, people will say, well, why would you put them, why would you put them on the cover and the book is called Poison? All the people that's on the, um, on the book cover, and there's, a, there's some surprise pictures that are, of course, inside the book and in other places, they represent what I'm talking about when it comes to the antidote. Because the reality is, is that when we start talking about solutions to the problem, the question will always be, what examples do we have in front of us of people who have been homeless, people who have been molested, people who have been alcoholics, people who have been very promiscuous and they've been, been divorced two, three, four, five times people who um, have been to jail, you know, and, and it seemed like they were the worst people, you know, amongst humanity because of some of the things that they have done. But we didn't know the backdrop. We didn't understand, you know, what produced these actions in these human beings because everybody was a baby at one time. Everybody was crawling and mama or somebody was saying, hey, look at this baby. Even if the baby was, 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 was born in and in, in taken in, in foster care, still a baby, not knowing anything. So if all of us started off as children not knowing anything, what went wrong? What happened? 
And when you look at all the people, this is not saying that the people on the cover are perfect, but what it is saying, and the reason why KRS-One is front and center is because when you look at the lives of us as a people, especially those of us who had, whose ancestors had the transatlantic experience, and we have the trauma, generational trauma, then one of the realities that we continue to face is there are certain poisons that are not just generational, but there are certain poisons that we can say that are biochemical, mm -hmm. they are traditional, they are poisons that if it's in the milk of the mama, if it's in the sperm of the father, if it's in the very fabric of our culture and it's subliminal and then sometimes it's just straight outright, but it's constantly being fed and nurtured and, it's, and it morphs every generation, every year. And because information moves so fast right now, it morphs every second right now. It's morphing. Then the question becomes, well, what is the DNA of this poison? What's the mRNA of this poison? What is it that's in this poison that if we altered it, it would produce an antidote? That's what this book is about. It's about an antidote. And the reality is, is that the antidote starts with us assessing us first. I know we've all heard the saying, you got to be willing to point out the wrong in yourself first. We've all heard that before. Yeah. The question becomes, well, what type of courage do I have to have to point out the ugliness in me? Because we know it's easy to have a facade and just say, well, no, just look at me from this angle, but don't look at my other side. But if I'm in the mirror looking at me and nobody else is looking around, can I look at me in the mirror and say, hey, I want to deal with my own ugliness. I want to deal with my own poison. And I want to deal with it so I can become free of it. Well, what's stopping us from doing it? Most times it's guilt. Most times it's shame. We can't even begin the process because we feel so much guilt and shame. We don't even want to deal with it. Let me get something to drink. I can't deal with that. Let me get something to smoke. You know, let me get some infused popcorn or something. I can't deal with this. You know what I'm saying? You know, I got to deal with everything else, but I don't want to deal with my own poison because I hate the fact that my poison is attached historically to somebody who raped my ancestors and I can't do anything about what happened 400 years ago. I hate the fact and I resent the fact that my poison is connected to a mother who maybe she didn't even want me. Mm. Or a father who could care less about me or my mother. Mm. So I resent the fact that I'm abandoned and I wasn't abandoned and so the streets raised me. You know what I mean? My grandma who was sick, she raised me. So I, I resent that. And I hate the fact that in the present, I can't do anything about the past and I'm really fearing the future because I don't see how my future is going to be better than my past. I don't even see how I could be better than my present. So I'm trapped in this triangle of deception and I can't get out of it. And so you telling me to put out the wrong in myself, but it's too much poison to let out. So now I got to find a way to detox from this, but do it in a way that I don't poison myself to death because I got so much in me. Well, that first part, 
I got to be willing to acknowledge it, but recognize that I got to be able to forgive me for things that I don't even know that I'm holding myself, you know, guilty of. You had nothing to do with your mother and father and their relationship not working. So you can't hold guilt, you know, over your own head and say, I'm the reason they broke up. Right. Some of us do that. And sometimes it's unknowingly that we do that. Sometimes, man, I can't believe I can't control myself. And man, I, I keep making these same mistakes. Well, guess what? There's some things about yourself that you probably didn't study. What did your father and your father's father, how do they handle relationships? You don't even consider that because, you know, I'm an individual. It's about me and my decision making. But hold on for a minute. You a link on the chain. What was their disposition about relationships and family and marriage and all that kind of stuff? You mean to tell me that 310 years of us being bred like stud horses, it won't have no effect on you? A hundred some odd years of just living life in this country, you, you feel like, well, you're your own man. So there's no biochemical anything that's going to affect you. It don't mean it, it has to control you, but you got to consider the implications of its effect on you. And a lot of us don't want to do that because then that means then that we have to go to war against those things that may influence us. We may have to change the way we eat, you know, because it's, 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 it's a biochemical thing, you know. We may have to change the people that we hang out with because they may be more influential on us than we, you know, care to, to admit. So a lot of these things in warfare, many of us don't want to go there because it means that we have to be serious about our assertion that we want to put out the wrong in ourselves and do better. But that's the crucial start of producing the antidote. So, so really the answer is to fix ourselves in order to fix our children. Yeah, but to, but to be <laughs> in the process by having some compassion with yourself. Right. Because most of us are so hypercritical, it's difficult to, I mean, how are you gonna help somebody else out when you're so hypercritical with yourself that you don't even really help you out, really? And we hypercritical in the face of all the things that have produced this quote-unquote Frankenstein or this quote-unquote monster that we're dealing with, this poisonous group of people. Well, we didn't become poisonous on our own. The children didn't become poisonous on their own. So if we can have enough compassion and say, hey, this is the truth of where we want to go, right? But I have to have enough respect and consideration for myself and them to be able to give them truth, but I'm giving it to them with love. I'm not giving it to them with resentment. I'm not giving it to them with hate. I'm not giving it to them with fear. And that's the reason why most of our messages don't touch the hearts of people, starting with our own children, because we resent the fact that things didn't go as smoothly as we thought they were gonna go. We hate the fact that we're in the situation that we're in, we wish things had been different. And we fear that if we don't change this thing fast enough, that you know, consequences are gonna to come to our children that we wish would never come to them. If we can be honest about these things, then it'll allow for us to do the exact opposite. Instead of fearing, man, have the type of hope and compassion that's gonna help you to do those things and make you accessible to those changes. It's gonna be a process, but at least you begin with your thought process. I'm gonna drop fear. I'm gonna build my faith up. I'm gonna start operating from a, from a truthful perspective and drop the fear. I'm not gonna keep on resenting. The past is the past. 
but I can appreciate life enough to say, hey, every day we got a chance to do something better, do something different. Let me take that opportunity and stop resenting the past because we can't go back there. Images, music, what role does it play in helping us to stay in the conditions that, that we are in? It plays a huge role. Like just to take where we at right now, I look at your background, right? You, uh, Keela and Hakima, you all have a background right now visually. Uh, first of all, you all look beautiful. You know. <laughs> thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, and so you, you know, you're welcome, and you and you look good, right? You intentionally made yourself appealing so you can make sure you look good. You made sure your background wasn't crazy behind you, right? And you did that on purpose. So when people look at the video, they say, "Man, they look good. They pretty. I like they background." So it puts people at a, a state of peace because they're seeing you in that state, right? Well, when you purposely put out the type of movies this society puts out, <laughs> when you purposely put out imagery, I mean, look at the news. Most people, if they think about it, they wish they didn't have to watch the news because 90% of it is the purge. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> is, if it bleeds, it bleeds. So yeah. you talk, you're talking about um, the weather one moment, uh, so-and-so just got killed, 64 bullets hit their bodies, you know. On another note, this bakery just opened up, but then, okay, this baby got shot and killed, or this woman got bit by a shark, or... It's like, wow, if, if the majority of the news is bad, and then they'll have one, maybe two, um, what's, what's the term they use? Uh, Feel-good stories. Yep, and they say that for the end. Yeah, they have one or two, and... At the end. So if it's an 18-minute news show, two minutes might go to some good news and the rest is... <laughs> and they put that at the end. By that time, you done cut it off. You said, I can't deal with no much. I didn't see so much pain. And then those are, fluff, those are fluff stories. Fluff stories, yep. yeah. Time yeah. fillers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's 24 hours of this. You know, 24 hours, and it's a loop, you know, over and over and over again. So when you, when you start thinking about the imagery... Yeah. You have an imagery to live crew is like um, Sesame Street right now. <laughs> Those, if you don't know what two live crew is about, go Google two live crew. But don't I was gonna say maybe they don't need to Google two they live don't need, I was saying, they don't need to Google two live crew. Oh my two god. Two live crew, look, what you got going on right now, two live crew would be seen as real tame right now. You know, yeah. because what they get going right now has gone past two live crew. However, you know, there are some things that came out in the uh, 20s and 30s. That's right. It'll put Cardi B to shame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it'll put Cardi B and, uh, and Nicki Minaj and a lot of these rappers, the city girls, it'll put them to shame. Meg The Stallion wouldn't have no competition with some of the stuff that some of our uh, <laughs> blues singers was doing. You know, right. in the early 1900s. It just shows, though, that we're at a time where this great amount of poison that's coming out, it can be used. But I think we're going to have to demonstrate it more than just talk about it. We're going to have to be about it. Right. Because if we can take the poisons that we grew up with, you know, we grew up, you know, if you were a, a late 60s and 70s baby and, 
and mama and, and auntie was playing Mary Jane and you hearing this good soulful music and you thought Mary Jane was a girl. You had no idea really? <laughs> that Mar marijuana was nicknamed Mary Jane. You had no idea until you got a little bit older and said, oh, that's what Mary Jane was about. Right, right. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea that all the early hip hop pioneers who had ski at the end of they of their name, you know, Joe Ski Love and you know, B Ski this and you like ski. Why everybody skiing? Because that was the nickname when you did blow, you know, you're doing cocaine. Cocaine is like snow. And so you skiing, you know. So I'm today's years old. Uh, uh, just finding that out. Yeah, I'm just finding that out too. I'm like, <laughs> damn. I'm like, what? Well, you know, this cocaine, is some bull. Say, cocaine is a hell of a drug. It's, I see. It, it, was, it, was, it was so prominent because disco came at a time where, mm -hmm. well, hip hop came on the end of disco. That's true. So all disco was fully <laughs> full yes. of cocaine. That's true. So all the DJs and the culture, you know, it just translated right into early hip hop, you know, and doing cocaine. So again, when you begin to detox or break down all of these cultural ties, it allows for us to begin to see that, you know, even though slangs continue to change, a lot of this stuff remained the same. And so if we could get past the newness of the culture, like there's music today that I could probably listen to for maybe five, six, seven minutes, and then I have to, I have to switch up. And that's only because the music on one level is sound so similar. It's, it's like it's a lack of diversity. Mm -hmm. And then the frequency is the same. Yep. The cadences are even the same. And so from a music lover perspective, you know, the originality is what needs to be um, embraced because people feel like, well, hey, if they getting paid making money sounding like this, well, we should just all do that. Nah, you gotta be different. You gotta, you gotta show, your, show your originality. But at the same time, we recognize that the content of what they're talking about, unfortunately, is very similar to what they were talking about in the early 2000s. You know, everybody wanna get money. Everybody wanna express how hard they are, so you're gonna kill somebody with this new exotic weapon you got you know, and you want to get girls, you know, and now girls want to talk about how they get guys and get their money and how, you know, they're lubricated very well. Yeah. Well, now they own, uh, they own the same sex in, in, in many of these songs, you know, so, I mean, I've heard like key words in certain songs. I'm like, huh, what did he just say? And I'm like, this is sad. And then you get these guys in hip hop coming out wearing tunics. Tunics are what women wear. So you got men walking around in these tunics. And I know in ancient times and in certain parts of Africa, men wear tunics. But no, I'm talking about women tunics or a shirt that's designed like a tunic. But you understand what I mean when I say the tunic and, and how it's worn in America. And then you got guys walking around with purses now. And it's supposed to be, oh, that's a bag. No, that's a purse. So it's well, so know, much during, of- During the house days, house parties, you always had homosexuals in the house parties. Um, but the difference was, you know, we didn't care. <laughs> right. It wasn't. It wasn't they wasn't all. trying to convince us either. Right, it wasn't right. this you campaign. Know, it wasn't a campaign right. at that time to force people. It was like let people be who they want to be. It was but now it's this big campaign, this uh uh politicizing of ex forcing me to accept it. And if I don't, I'm considered homophobic or something. 
Right. And it's like, look, you know, I tell people all the time, look, we party some of the best parties in Chicago. Yes. Hey, lots of homosexuals and lesbians around. So yep. Yep. they were doing what they were doing. We were with the girls. You know what I mean? If a, if a homosexual brother walked by or he, he, he bumped me, we kept on dancing. You know what I mean? We ain't stopped and say, get away from me. We kept doing what we were doing as long as he wasn't trying to mess with me. You know, it was like, hey, you do what you're doing. The problem, like you said, is, is that it's highly politicized. So there's a forcing. You want to put policies and rules together to force something on people. Mm -hmm. And then the poison aspect of it that I think is really damaging is that you have those who look at themselves as being gay and they're black, but they're being imposed upon by Caucasians who are gay, who are using those who are black as part of that community. And so I have uh, relatives that are uh, you know, part of that community and they are activists, but they've even expressed to me some of the fights that they have with those who are white who put their white supremacist views on yeah. them as, as, as part of a quote unquote gay activist group. Mm. So this thing, again, the poisons are so uh, potent that regardless if you consider yourself heterosexual or homosexual or you Democrat, Republican or whatever you call yourself, poisons, they come in all forms and they are in all areas of human activity. And just to say this again about house music, because I grew up um you know really loving house music yes you know a lot of times people forget that look you know we've had uh people of diverse sexualities all throughout our movements here in the united states that's right so a lot of times people they want to sugarcoat or forget that when it came to our movement as a people we didn't really care as long as we accomplished our goals of getting liberation for, for us as a people and we didn't mind other people getting liberation also. So if you call yourself Latino, so what? Get liberation. You know, if you was Asian, man, we, we you know, it's bad that you all are being bombed in Vietnam. You know what I mean? Get liberation. You know, even poor whites were embraced. Get liberation. The problem becomes where, okay, we can't get liberation because we're being divided and conquered. And that's a particular poison that's strategic in warfare to keep dividing and conquering us over everything imaginable. Your sexuality should not become a priority when you're trying to accomplish things for our people. So-and-so is a heterosexual, so what? Well, it becomes a problem though, if he's sleeping with the 16 year old, well, that becomes a problem. If he molesting somebody's child, well, that's, that's a problem. That's because it. now you're a heterosexual that's a pedophile. You know what I mean? You're a heterosexual, okay, cool. But guess what? You shouldn't be doing that to your daughter or you shouldn't be doing that to your son, you know? So I think a lot of times we begin to forget that when you use sexuality in such a way as it becomes weaponized, I don't care if you hetero or homo, whatever, when your sexuality becomes weaponized, that's when it should be a problem to all of us, whether you are coming from a Meg the Stallion and uh, whatever brother that might be out there uh, promoting hypersexuality, it's a problem regardless of what spin we put on it. And during the time of house music, we had we had problems then too because some of the songs that we were jacking to, oh yeah, it, yeah. it was really I, uh, raunchy. I can think of a few right now, actually, as we were talking about it. But oh, it, it had a good beat. But don't let my mama hear. That's right, because <laughs> it was pretty vulgar. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, 
we've heard the term the Joshua generation. <laughs> is that what 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 group is that? Is that Z? Is that the younger millennials? And is this truly a Joshua generation? You know, I think the mistake that many people make is thinking that the Joshua generation is a time period and not a mindset. Ah. And uh, for those who have kind of put themselves in that thought process of, man, it's a, it's, a, it's a generation, you know, in the early 90s, right, we were, you know, the Joshua generation because we were thinking from a time period perspective. Oh, I'm 19, I'm 22. Those people over there are 55 or 60. So they're not the Joshua generation. We're the Joshua generation. Well, guess what? There were some old people during those scriptural times that were maybe the same age as uh, Joshua, but they were considered old because they had the mindset of the old. They didn't have the mindset of the new that was going to enter into the promised land. They had the mindset of those slaves that were still under Pharaoh that was murmuring under Moses. So I think a lot of times people get it twisted thinking that their age is what admits them into the Joshua generation. And they forget, if you keep on living, keep on breathing, if you think like that, then you age out of the Joshua generation and you become that generation that you were talking against and about just 20 years prior. And a lot of times people forget that, look, the goal is for you to live long enough to become an elder. You want to become a wise woman and a wise man, but that's because of the wisdom that you have and that you utilize. It's not because your birthday was here and because you're now a teenager or you're a, 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 a young adult, that makes you part of that generation. No, it's a mindset. It's a, um, a spiritual and mental disposition. And that orientation of thinking carries you all the way through regardless of your age range. And so for those who may think like that, if you think that I'm wrong, check the scriptures. You know, cause I'm coming at it from a purely spiritually scientific perspective and not from a religious gangbang perspective. So whether you Hebrew, Christian, Muslim, or you don't believe in the scriptures at all, still check it out and see what I'm saying. Because no matter what historical viewpoint you have, every generation has an opportunity to follow truth. The question becomes how much of a warrior or warrioress you're going to be when it comes to the fight, because the fight is always internal before it becomes external. And the moment you say you want to follow the right path, something inside yourself is going to give you a suggestion to do just the opposite. And there's going to be plenty of opposition outside of you that's going to say, oh, man, forget that being righteous. Let's be niggas. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's, it's cool. In any, you know, people are sheep. You know, scriptures do talk about the masses of people always moving in sheep, and it's whatever trendy. So, if being a, a Negro is trendy, Negroes gonna do it. If being like I call fake woke, you know, you got the fake woke community who act like they woke, but they really not because it's trendy. It's trendy right. to now. Everybody want now. Everybody want to talk about I'm gonna eat better. You really don't want to eat better. It's just because it's trendy now to eat better. Now you got people talking about they're vegan, but everything they're eating is genetically modified, it's processed. How you a vegan? So it's like people will go wherever they see the masses of the people go, and that's just where it's at in order for you. It seems like the order for us to, to wake our people up or to really open their eyes, we have to make being righteous trendy. We gotta make it cool. We gotta get more and more people on board and build this snowball effect so that everybody can jump on board. It's really sad, but 
You almost have to do it. I'd like to know how we transcend those trends, though. You said what? How do we transcend the trends? The trends. How do we transcend being trendy? How how does and and I mean and I think that the answer typically is going to be the youth. Um and and what we pour into them because they are the ones that will bring in future generations. And so how do we how do we get to them to stop the trendy mindsets and to yeah. stop all of these? And I know that the first thing what you said, uh, brother, is that we got to start with self. I'll tell you this. One of the things I can say, because there's certain things I, I'm, I'm holding out for people to see it in a book. But there's uh, one, absolutely. <laughs> one thing I can say is this. You know, there's a reason why when you look at sports, there's structure in every sport um, field. I don't care if it's track and field, it's basketball, it's wrestling. There's a certain structure that is a template that you can use in Chicago, you can use it in France, you can use it in Brazil, you can use it in Johannesburg. We right now have been so divided and divorced from structures that we now are missing backbone. Mm. It's like we are in a jellyfish condition when we really need to have as much of a backbone and a structure as possible. This is the worst time for us not to have structure. You're talking about a pandemic, right? Worldwide pandemic. You're talking about all types of forces that are doing a variety of things. And when you have no structure as a people, you are gonna be uh, those who are most looked upon as vulnerable and you're gonna be easier to take out. You're gonna, it's going to be very easy to quote unquote call the useless eaters. It's going to be yeah. very easy to call the useless eaters because those who have no structure versus those who do have structure. Those who have structure, look at Chinatown. It's not going to be too easy to get rid of Chinatown. When you look at black people around this country, we're at a, a disadvantage because our structure is non-existent and we celebrate not having a structure. We say things like, we're not a monolith. You think that's a good thing? Like that's a total good thing that we're not a monolith. Monolith means that which is solid, that which is whole. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the early 70s um, or close to the middle, mid 70s, you had this record you know, murder spree that goes on. I don't think it's a coincidence about it happening in 1993. If you look at that time period, you go from 74 to 93, right? What was going on? You had the explosion of the cities in the United States, you know, after Dr. King was assassinated. You had this explosion. You have all these different things that happened, socioeconomic, political changes. But what was happening to us culturally? Right. Culturally, we have so many things going on to dismantle the fabric of society in terms of parenting, in terms of family, in terms of morals. As much as during the Reagan era, they were talking about morals, right? And stopping drugs, say no to drugs. On one hand, say no to drugs. On the other hand, help to bring drugs in to fight, fight wars. And the people who were the ones who took the most um, of the consequences of this was the black and brown with the crack cocaine, you know, 
conspiracy, some say, but the crack cocaine reality. It wasn't a conspiracy for those who went through it. It was the reality of it. So I think that when we begin to look at all these things, again, the antidote is going to go into those who can hear what we're talking about and say, you know what? Let me start off by analyzing my poison. Because guess what? You may be surprised. It might be 10 million people that can identify with the poisons that we talk about. They can say, man, I got some of, this, I got some of the same poison. Well, what are you doing to eradicate your poison since it's a shared poison? Let me try some of that on me. And maybe when I begin to use it on me, I may have to adapt it because my poison may also be connected to a molestation that happened or a rape that happened or me seeing my brother get murdered right in front of my eyes. And so I may have to have a little bit of, of something else added to my poison. But when I add it to my poison, guess what? There's about 15 million more people that can identify with that. I think that when we begin to look at it, not only from a spiritually scientific perspective, but just a, a humility perspective. Let, let's be humble about it. Humble not meaning we're weak. Humble meaning that, look, it took us 400 some odd years to get into this situation. It's not going to take us 90 some years to get out of it. That's not mathematical. If a generation is considered again between 20 and 30 years, how many generations have we been active in getting rid of these poisons? That we could actually say that majority of us as a people were active. You got a lot of us who've been sidelined sitting for a lot of, lot of years. And some of us, I think with the George Floyd last summer, I think you got more people that became activated because it was broadcast worldwide. I mean, think about it. It's a pandemic going on and you get worldwide these kind of things happening. So you get children who are connected to the hip hop generation, but those children or generation X and Y uh, and Z, all these people are now globally connected to the struggle of us as a people. And hip hop plays a powerful role in it. So the question becomes, well, how many of us are gonna be willing from this day forward to say, hey, as soon as I want to start doing something with the youth, before I step to them, let me look at myself as a youth. When I was a youth 10, 15, 20, however many years ago, what am I still battling with? Because young people will pull out of you whatever you still wrestling with, they're going to pull it out of you. Because whatever they're going through, they're going to mirror it. And the question becomes, are we going to be humble enough, even if you make a mistake in handling them, are you going to be humble enough to say, you know what, let me go back to them and try to communicate differently because what I'm upset about, I'm upset partially about something that I've been battling with. And I'm still battling with it on a different level, but I see it coming out of them. Let me deal with it differently because guess what? If we had somebody to help us when we were younger, certain things today that we battle with, we wouldn't even be dealing with it because somebody else could have helped us when we were younger, but my uncles couldn't help me. They were 35 year old males, they weren't men. So there's nothing that I was dealing with from a sexual perspective, from a um, economic perspective, from a political perspective, even health perspective. They couldn't help me. They was pork chop eating, alcohol drinking, get booty at all costs, males. <laughs> you are so right. 
you know, you, you already, one of the last questions I asked you, but you already leading toward is how we really reach our youth. So my question was going to be how do as parents and community, we reach our youth and turn things around. And, and you hit it right on the head. Um, I would like to add a little bit to that too. Um, and this is from my own personal experience. So just trying to build, build, we build together in this conversation. But when I deal with the youth in the prisons, and one of the biggest things I tell them, you know, I'm coming with you with love. And so when we come with our youth and we start the conversation is I'm coming there with you with love, everything after that, they're going to hear you. Even if you correcting them, they're going to hear it because so often we critique our youth like we, we criticizing them or we're better than them. I tell the guys when I'm dealing with them, me and you going to heal together. We ain't got a lot of time. So because we don't have a lot of time, I'm going to help you heal and you're going to help me heal. So I'm going to enlighten you and then you enlighten me. You're going to grow and you're going to return that back to me because you're obligated to help heal me as well. So I think what we're saying today is we have to invest in the youth. I'm sure that's what you're saying too. We have to invest in our youth and, and be mindful that our children are like a bank account. If we put garbage into them, they're going to put garbage back. If we put something of value to them, they're going to be like a bank account. It's going to grow. It's, it's going to really be something of value. So we got to focus on our youth in, this, in the case that they mean something to us and then they're just not just somebody that's just there and insignificant. I agree. I agree uh, completely with you. And I think that that investment, you have to have it with yourself first. You know, when we do professional development with a lot of the um, – you know, whether they're educators, counselors, principals. Um, you know, we used to go to the juvenile detention center on Hamilton here in Chicago for their uh, drug uh, prevention or drug treatment seminar with the parents and the youth who were part of juvenile court. And even though that was, you know, dedicated to the youth with their parents, you know, with them, we spent time letting the parents know, you know, their role. Because even if you may have messed up, you know, with that 16 or 17 year old, guess what? You got an opportunity today to stop messing up, but you're not gonna, but you're not gonna stop messing up until you agree that you gotta do something for yourself. If you were drug addict and they, and they haven't been listening to you for the last four or five years, guess what? If you continue to be a drug addict, they're not gonna listen to you tomorrow. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to invest in me because that investment in yourself will inspire them. And that investment will go to them as well. Because if you can overcome your addiction, that's giving them a sign that there's hope for them. But if you can't even uh, attack your addiction, we're not, again, we're not saying you're going to be perfect. However, we are saying that you're willing to fight from a Social scientific definition and perspective addiction is considered the pursuit of happiness at the expense of your freedom. It's the pursuit of happiness at the expense of your freedom. Well, if it, if, if it makes you happy to know that your child is doing better, they're not selling drugs anymore, they're not outside you know, shooting at the ops, and it makes you happy, it makes you feel free of the worry and the guilt, then if you can experience that level of freedom only by saying to yourself, I'm going to stop doing these drugs because I need to be sober minded when I'm talking to my child, when I'm working with them, when I'm helping to, to plan a future for them. I can't do these things if I'm spaced out. If I'm lit, 
24-7. <laughs> How are you going to care for yourself, not to even think about caring for them, if you are in the wrong state of mind and being? So that's a decision that adults have to be willing to make. And guess what? It's a hard decision, but you are the adult. And that's the point of all of this. You are the adult. So if we make that investment, guess what? It's going to inspire them and it's going to be inspirational to you as well because you're going to feel good that they're making steps to be better because they're watching you. It's like a child. If a little baby is watching me and you sweep the floor, sooner or later, what's the baby going to do? That's right. It's going to want to take the broom from you and sweep the floor because you showed me love. You showed me love. You ain't just say it out your mouth. You showed me love. You demonstrated it. So now that I've learned from you, I want to show you that I appreciate learning from you. So I'm going to start doing it too. You know what I mean? This ain't no competition. It's me showing you how much I appreciate you showing me how to do what you just did. And I think that when we start doing that as, a, as an adult, we begin to see our value um, even more significantly. Because in truth, even if you're only 18 years older than your child, guess what? Those years taught you something. That's it right. gave you something that your child just don't have. And the more your child can see, hey, I can learn from them. I may not like the way I get punished sometimes or I get reprimanded sometimes. I may not like it, but guess what? They do care for me and, and they're showing that they care for me. So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more inspired to do. And I think that if we do that more and more, it's going to help. All right. Well, let me go into our challenges. Brother Enoch, this is, this is, this is a section of the podcast where I like to do challenges. So yes, let me go ahead and go through it. Number one, self-evaluation. This has been stressed throughout this podcast. You must assess the level of poison that is in your system and design a plan to get rid of it. You need to stop acting like the poison ain't there. Number two, reject the poison and divide, of divide and conquer, because that is what we are being feeding day in and day out, television, on our phones, everywhere we turn, it's divide and conquer. Challenge number three, study the generations before you and take what's good from it and then reject what is bad. We need to learn from previous generations. Uh, challenge number four, stop drinking the poison of integration. That ain't working for us and stop trying to sacrifice our children over to this white supremacist system. We got to do better. Challenge number five, focus on investing, investing in the youth. If we don't see no value in them, guess what? They ain't gonna be of any value. And last but not least, act like a adult. <laughs> Stop acting like a child with your children. <laughs> so that's my challenges for today. <laughs> you know, when you said one of them, something came to my mind and I'm still kind of thinking about it. When it comes to integration, Mm -hmm. the whole idea of being kept away from their social equality but now we're immersed in their social equality we need to get away from a social integration of being savage being yes. evil um, being less than what we were created to be because I think that we have, be we have become immersed in a culture of poison and death yeah. we have to uh, we have to really quarantine ourselves from it <laughs> yeah we really have to quarantine ourselves from it until we get strong enough to produce an antidote for it because right now 
everything that's in the culture. I, I'll say this real quick. When I went to, I was blessed to go to Cuba in 1997. And um, the tour that I was on, it was a, it's an organization called Global Exchange based out of San Francisco. And so I was one of the two black people that was part of this group that went to Cuba. And um, one of the trips that we took in Havana was to meet with the uh, Minister of Tourism and Cultural Affairs. And as they were talking about the idea of allowing more American culture and, and tourists into their society because they wanted to produce more money in tourism, mm -hmm. I told them, I said, well, from my perspective, allowing more of the American culture into your culture, which is a revolutionary, a very industrious uh, culture, is like inviting HIV AIDS into a whale body. <laughs> And unfortunately, you know, 20 some odd years later, we see what's happening in Cuba. And now they're regretting allowing the internet to be so open freely in Cuba because the high level of manipulation through the usage of the internet is, is, yeah. is taking ideas as well as a morality and it's breaking down the revolutionary spirit of the Cuban culture. And so I know that's a whole nother different topic. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to put that out there that that's the reason why we have to quarantine. And um, I'll say this, I do want to invite you all. I have a new show that uh, I have uh, been given an opportunity to, uh, to be part of. Uh, 95.1, The Blazing is a new show based out of LA. Okay. So I want to invite you both to be on my show. Uh, I'm going to begin probably sometime in uh, the end of August or September to begin to market and promote it. But uh, Cheryl Underwood, the comedian, she she does the movie. My soror. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> she does the morning show on Monday through Friday. And so Violator DJs and other DJs, they provide the music throughout the uh, week. And so my show is slated 6 to 8 p.m. on Sundays. So I have an interview that's been pre-recorded that's going to air this Sunday, uh, an interview I did with KRS-One and his wife, Simone. And so okay. that's going to be on uh, theblazing.com, uh, 95.1. But I want to let you all know that I enjoy being uh, on your show. And so I said, well, we got to continue this conversation. So I got to make sure I invite you all early. So you yes, all sir. Go to the show. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. So you have any last words uh, for our listening audience, how they can get in contact with you and anything else? Well, hiphopdetox.org is the, uh, the website. Hiphopdetox at yahoo.com is a way to get in contact with me directly. 773-563-4315 uh, is, uh, is our uh, organization hotline number to get in contact by phone, text. And lastly, um, you know, we're going to, make our announcement soon about how to get poison again uh, <laughs> your process uh but look out for poison because it's going to be released very soon and of course you too will be getting your copy very soon as well it's going to be an ebook and then we're going to have uh printed copies uh for those uh interested in reading the hard copy thank you thank you so much and to and to our listening audience thank you for always supporting us for every episode. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode 
of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.